Welcome to the Anthem Church Podcast. Our desire is to transform lives through authentic experiences with God and with people. This message is brought to you from Anthem Church in Fairview, Oregon. We pray you are encouraged, inspired, and strengthened through the teaching and preaching of God's Word. that are joining us online and uh, those of you that will be uh, listening on podcasts, we're so grateful for you being with us and we know God's just going to bless you and actually uh, I I text the staff last night and I said, you know what, we need to just, we need to make this the biggest online day uh, that we've ever had. And actually during the first service, we had 200 people online, uh, 201 people online that were watching the, the, the service. And so, you know, that, that is, it was huge. And I, I'm just trusting there's another 200 of you that are watching right now and uh, share it, you know, get it out. Facebook, you know, maybe text somebody, say, hey, get online right now. This message is really going to bless you. It's just going to bless your life. It's going to open your, our eyes and open our doors. This whole se- open our uh, hearts uh, and our minds. So a whole series of things, and uh, some of it will be a little bit uncomfortable, just like me having to watch Lisa's dad and mom just make out on the floor, uh, you know, after a dinner. It's just like weird, but it was awkward, and uh, but it was life changing also. You know, life-changing, because that was the first time I began to experience uh, what love and, and expressions of love in a family should be like. And uh, it, was health, it was very healthy for me to grow and be stretched in that way. And in the series, we hope that you will be stretched, you know, stretched, uh, and, and we need to be stretched. I mean, uh, just think about it. Uh, if, if, you, if all you've had is bologna all your life and somebody gives you a steak, that bologna doesn't look so good anymore, right? So, uh, so we're going to take, uh, we're going to move things out and stretch you so you can enjoy life at a whole nother level. Before I get into this, I wanted to just uh, give you a couple of updates on things that we are developing and that we're going to be launching here and uh, uh, going to be doing uh, one that we're launching, one event that's going to just be, I think, life-changing for the church. The first thing in... and I, I'm not sure of the date. I think it's on February 24th. We are launching a, 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 a new program for junior hires and, and middle school kids here at Anthem uh, that will be happen during the 1130 service. So there'll be a service for your middle schoolers. If you don't get families with middle schoolers, listen, middle schoolers are, are I think they have to live through one of the most difficult times and they're growing up period. And so we're, uh, Pastor Jeffrey and Matt uh, uh, have, have put their heads together and came up with this fantastic plan to, to have wor- their own worship, to have their age-appropriate discussions and leadership. And it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be on the second service, okay? So I'm really excited about that. It'll start in a couple weeks. So get, let the, your junior or your middle schoolers know there's, uh, there's we're, we're thinking about them and we uh, love them and are, are believing for great things. The second thing that I think is going to be so much fun is something we've never done here at Anthem. And so mark your calendars on March 3rd. So we've been doing, we're going to finish this series, This Is Us, with, by, with do a service unlike anything we've ever done here at Anthem. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take all the chairs out of this room on February 
or on March, excuse me, please, March 3rd, we're going to clear all of these chairs out, and we're going to bring every table that we have and, and, and fill the room with table and, and chairs. And on that day, we'll have worship, and we'll, have, we'll do, take a, a time of prayer, but it's going to be a family feast day, and it's just going to be a huge family church potluck. We're going to eat together, folks, just like they did in the New Testament church. You see, er, the early church, when they talked about doing the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper was not just, you know, bread and, and, or a cracker and a, and a little cup of juice. It was a time where they gathered and they ate together. It was a feasting time. They had just, you know, just, you know, they worshiped. They just, and they spent the time just connecting with one another, sharing uh, a meal, sharing life and just sharing love and sharing and building relationships. And I'll tell you, I can't wait. I think it's going to be fantastic. We'll just have a huge family feast. Invite your friends. You know, if you're a cook and, and you like to bring extra, just, you know, pile it on because I'm sure there'll be visitors and people that show up and go, what's going on? And we'll just say, hey, it's an anthem family feast. And, you know, we're going to celebrate our international the aspect of this church. I mean, so, you know, bring your the food of your culture, okay? And so, you know, let's celebrate all of the the uh, of the the cultures that we are here, all the international flavor that we are. And and I just, you know, I think it's going to be a fantastic day. Come on. Amen. Amen. So, uh, it's going to be one service that day. It's going to be at 10:30, and so we're just going to pack everybody in here around tables and a, a New Testament family feast. It's going to be awesome. All right. Good, good deal. Well, let's get into the message today, okay? Uh, we start the, a brand new series. I'm really excited about this called This Is Us. Sound familiar, right? Because it's going to be based on that TV, a TV show, right? How many have watched a little bit of This Is Us? So, so if, uh, somebody said to me the other day or this morning, they came in and they said, Pastor, since you are doing this series, and we couldn't get out of our house yesterday. We decided just to stay in our pajamas and watch uh, This Is Us. And they go, I think we, we watched all of them, actually. And, uh, and I said, that, uh, so it was great. They, they're all caught up to speed. But it's about a family, right? The Pearson family. And the challenges they're having now that they're, they're grown up and that the, the series looks back. And, you know, the characters are Jack, the dad, and his wife, Rebecca, along with their three children, right, Kevin, uh, Randall, and... Uh, Kate, yes, and Kate, and uh, you know, the two of the the kids are 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 part of triplets, uh, triplets that were born, and one of the triplets didn't survive, and the third. Uh, son is is Randall who's an African American uh, child that they adopted and brought into the family uh, was left at a fire station and they he becomes part of the family same age as the others so they you know they're kind of a triplet story again and uh, it's 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 a the show is a story of of this family but I really believe that it's kind of a story about all of our families. And uh, so I wanted to just use some of the, the things that go on that we see in their interactions and just take them and talk about them and, and uh, uh, use them as the backdrop for this series. Now, in fact, this series is the, uh, it's the, it's the real recent 
the reason for a recent explosion in the stock price of Kleenex tissues. You know, I'm telling you, uh, more tears are shed during this hour uh, that it that it shows than any hour of the week. And I don't know about you, but uh, it's it's a you know I've watched it. We watch it together, and uh, I like it. I like the show, and. I, I, you know, I've shed a few tears, you know, that, that it gets me in the heart. Now, I know I just gave up my man card there, but, uh, uh, but it's about transparency here, right? Come on, amen. <laughs> so it's also the single most uh, responsible thing for the uh, great sell-off of crockpots at uh, lawn uh, sales and, or uh, uh, garage sales. And if you don't get that, you know, do some homework and you will uh, find out where that comes from. And anyway... If you're not familiar with the show, if you've never seen it before, well, let's introduce it with a little clip here about the Pearsons. He is looking good. You hear that, baby? We got a boy. Some oxygen for her, please. So what's happening? Your wife is in distress, Jack. Thirty-six years ago, you left me at the front door of a fire station. Tell me to wake up. Tell me to lose the weight. We lost the third baby, but you have two healthy children, Jack. In the night sky, well, there's so much they hold. I quit. Screw you. You want to meet your grandchildren? There is not a single day that goes by that I don't think of the child I lost. Go see your babies. They're excited to meet their father. I think maybe they got a good one. Man, that's it. So it's gonna—it's an incredible family. So this is a family that we're going to look at. And it's far from perfect. It really is. Uh, and then we're going to compare them to our family. And then finally, look at some of biblical families along the way and, and see what we can learn from it all, okay? Today, what I want to talk to you about is a dysfunctional family, what a dysfunctional family is, and, and uh, God's help for us uh, that have grown up in a dysfunctional family. And the truth is, you know, people are quick to label what's dysfunctional, what is not dysfunction, you know. And, uh, and it's hard to tell if you grew up in a dysfunctional family because it was your family, right? Nobody ever tells you, then you figure, man, it was my family, right? So, but, so I got a couple pictures here to, you know, you kind of can run it off. If, if, you ever, if you ever got a haircut like this, you probably grew up in a dysfunctional family, you know, so, you know. Uh, and uh, if you ever, right, if you ever kind of, uh, if you ever, you know, want the adults in your family were kind of set this up to rock you or to make use of swing, you know, adult beverage there and got a rope tied to the swing and pulling it from a lawn chair. Not bad idea, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it could be a little bit of dysfunction there. Or if you ever had to endure this with your sibling, you know, this might be a <laughs> sign that you grew up in a dysfunctional family. Or perhaps if uh, your backyard looked like this, you know, trampoline on cement blocks and and a little sideways, right? Uh, it's possible you grew up in a dysfunctional family, but uh, you know, it <laughs> just goes to show you, you can still have a little fun in the middle of dysfunction, right? Uh, so, so the Pearson family is made up of Jack, the dad who, who died from smoke inhalation uh, years earlier, and the show kind of brings him back in memory scenes. And to everyone, he seems perfect, but He's not perfect. He's dealing with an 
an addiction, an addiction to alcohol. And uh, he is, his father was a, an addict, was an alcoholic. Uh, Jack's addiction is not quite as chronic as his dad's, but it's still uh, a, a crippling, has a crippling effect on him. And now his son, Kevin, is dealing with addiction issues in his life. So there's three generations there of issues. Kate is dealing with a weight issue. You see all that in the, in the, the little clip. And Randall is facing his own kind of issues from his perfectionism to insecurities and fears. And, and uh, they're all going through this. And, uh, and, and I want you to see from another clip, just they go through this family they go to this family therapy session because of the, some, uh, an issue that Kevin's uh, alcohol, or his addiction issue. And uh, just I want you to watch the interaction that goes on. And we're going to look at some of the, uh, some of the things that, that you'll see in this clip that are really dysfunctional. So let's check that out. Rebecca, do you have an opinion? about your husband's alcoholism. Did you ever talk to your children about their father being an addict? Did you ever warn them that they would have the gene? Uh, my, my children lost their father when they were 17. They didn't have their father at their high school graduation. Randall didn't have his father when his children were born. Kate will not have her father at her wedding. So they had 17 years of memories, and that's it. There won't be any new ones for the rest of their lives. So, no, no, I did not sit them down and color their memories of their father by talking about the one part of him that wasn't perfect. And you really do a disservice by calling my husband an addict because he was so much more than that. Thank you. It's interesting that you bring up examples of Kate and Randall, but not Kevin. What? Kate not having her father at her wedding and Randall not having his father when his children were born. Yes, because those were just the first two examples that came to my mind. But don't you find it interesting that you have specific examples for your other children, but not Kevin? I don't. I don't find it interesting. I find it typical, to be honest with you. I mean, this is what we talk enough. about. Mom, enough. Enough. You don't have to lay into her. Okay, here we go. Yeah, here we go is right. Look, I... I've tried to empathize with you, Kevin. I really have. Okay, I've held my tongue as your rich got sent to this four seasons for almost killing my daughter when most anybody else would have got sent to jail. I've held my tongue while you've whined about your childhood. A childhood which I was there for, by the way, which I bore witness to. Your football tosses on the lawn with dad. Your tummy rubs from mom when you had a fever. See, Barbara may not have been there, but I was there. So don't you dare try to pull that same lame piece of wool over my eyes, bro, okay? I've held my tongue, but I will not hold my tongue while you go after our mother for not parenting. I'm not going after our mother, Randall. Why do you always twist things around He's like that? He's not, not twisting anything, Kevin. He's simply defending oh, me. Oh, I'm sorry, Mom. You're right. I'm sorry. Why don't you take his side? Because that's... I am not taking anybody's side. Anybody you want to talk about your tortured childhood? Huh? You want to compare baggage? Randall, <laughs> let's Randall, do that. No, I would never nice. compare my tortured childhood with yours, Randall, because I wasn't abandoned or adopted no. or I didn't have anxiety or I'm not a genius. No, you're Kevin. definitely not that, Kevin. You know what else you're not? You're not an addict, okay? The only thing that you're addicted to is attention. I mean, what happened, Kev? 
Your movie arrived, you weren't rolling with Sly and Ron Howard anymore. Nobody was looking at you. So you had to get us all up here. All eyes on you, cue drug problem. Okay. Okay, Kev. <laughs> okay, guys. No, you know so what? I, I just, I'm, I want to know your thoughts on this, Randall. Why do you think your daughter was hiding in my car? Why do you think your daughter was hiding in my car? Have you ever thought about that? What about it? She was avoiding the Randall Show. Don't you dare No, no, talk welcome about to the Randall, Randall Show, Randall. ladies Kevin, and gentlemen. Kevin. Adopted by white people, two dads. Does it get any more interesting than that? Well, not for Randall. So you, you move your dying father into your home without thinking about what your wife or what your kids think of that. And then you bring some, some strange girl into the house after he dies, right? And the only person sitting there that no one's paying attention to is your daughter, Tess. You know what, I'm done, man. Randall, Randall, Thank Randall. you, Randall, out the door. Cute mom chasing her favorite son. This is no. such a predictable movie. You are so predictable. You raise your voice hey, to her hey, one more hey, time. Hey, all your children you love equally, fine. right? Yes, That's what you keep saying. do love yeah, all I'm my sure children the same. Wouldn't it feel refreshing, though, just to right here in this forum, because this is where you do that kind of stuff, to just tell everyone the truth, which is that you love Randall the most. Oh, He's your favorite, right? that's not true, right? Kevin. It's not true. That's absolutely it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I'm yeah, not okay, going to say that, Kevin. one thing that you and I have. One thing that you and I have that is special, that is just you and me. Not, not, not all of us. Not me and Randall. Not me and Kate. Kevin, can you please stop? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flustered, and it's not kind of you. Well, what just you're admit doing. that you love Randall more. We can stop pretending to be. No, this he was just family. easier. He was easier, and he didn't recoil when I touched him, and he wasn't some sullen teenager who was angry at me for no reason, and he didn't abandon me and move away after his father died. Whoa. There's some heavy stuff going on there, huh? Remind you of any of your families? Ever had any kind of discussions like that? Maybe. Maybe not. But anyway, you know, there's, uh, there's some stuff going on there. And I want to talk about a few of those things. But I also want to talk about a biblical family that, amazingly enough, has the exact same list of issues and dysfunctions as this family does. Which, which tells me that God really knew what he was talking about in his word and how relevant the Bible is. We want to talk about a, a couple named Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac, the son of Abraham, and Rebekah, his wife. And their two sons, who are twins, Esau and Jacob, and uh, both of these families have some incredible dysfunctions. Now, I, if you Google dysfunction, family dysfunctions, they'll give you lists that are, you know, mile long. Well, of, of things that identify a dysfunctional family. Well, I just have five today, so, because we don't have all day. But, and, and the reason five is because I read a book once called Five Dysfunctions of a Leader, and I thought, well, you know, it sounded good, Five Dysfunctions of a Family, right? So that's what we're going to talk about and, and go with. And they're, they're parallel, this Pearson family and Isaac's family. So let's look at it, the first evidence of a dysfunctional family. And I want you to think about this when it comes to your own family, because we're going to just talk about how God wants to bring wholeness and healing and ultimately set a new course for your family. So the first evidence of a dysfunctional family is favoritism. You saw it in the, 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 you saw it in the, the clip. And this is where a child captures the attention of one or both of the parents over, 
above the rest of the, the, the children. And maybe that child needs more attention. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a learning issue or whatever it, it may be that attracted the attention of the parents. Sometimes maybe it's more athletic. Maybe they're brighter. Maybe they're, you know, they have physical attributes that, that, that do that. And, uh, and he mentioned, you know, uh, throwing a football with the dad. The other one, you know, doing those type of things. And it's common for siblings to say, well, you are the favorite. No, you are the favorite. No, you are the favorite. But favoritism is common in a dysfunctional family. Look, if you look at this biblical family of Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac grew up a favorite son of, of Abraham and Sarah. And then what happens? Isaac finds a wife. They find a wife for Isaac. He gets married and they have their children, Esau and, and Jacob, which by the way, Rebecca was, couldn't have any kids for a while, but she, he pleaded with the Lord in Genesis 25. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer. And Rebecca became pregnant with twins. And as the twins grow, I mean, Esau, the older twin, becomes the favorite of his dad. His dad likes the, the wild game. He's a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. And, and his dad, uh, and Isaac, he becomes Isaac's favorite. The, and Jacob, rather, get, becomes the favorite of Rebecca. He's a, a homebody, likes to stay home. He, he cooks. And, uh, he's, uh, and, and there's just a connection that the two have. And here's my question. Who's the favorite person in your family? Who's the favorite person in your family? Now, in my family, I mean, we've, we've had arguments about that. We have talked about it. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, there were six boys in my family and one girl. Who do you think those was the favorite? Come on, just take a wild guess. Six boys, one girl. Uh, you know, and I'll just leave it as that, right? Uh, but she would have a different opinion of that, I'll have to admit, uh, my sister would. Uh, but here's what it says in Genesis 25, as the boys grew, Esau became a skillful hunter, he was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home, and Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game uh, uh, Esau brought home, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Now practicing, listen, favoritism, it can really affect family dynamics for years, and it did in this family, the Pierces. It did it in the lifetime of Isaac uh, or Esau and um, and Jacob, and it carried on into the next generation as Jacob's uh, sons always knew that Joseph was his father's favorite, and Jacob was not. He did not you know, hide that in any way. And so the brothers end up selling their, their Joseph into slavery and it, it just creates, it's a, it's a sad situation. So the question is, was that favoritism ever addressed in your family? We don't see it being addressed here. The second uh, thing that identifies a dysfunctional family is deception. And, uh, and I love the scene here where Kevin is told by Randall, you are not an addict right? It's like, what? He's in a recovery center, right? He's been struggling with drugs and alcohol for years, but you're not an academic. It's just kind of, there's this deception that goes on in people's minds uh, about, you know, what people are hiding and what's going on. And, and the biblical family, Isaac and Rebecca's family, is filled with deception too. If you look at Genesis 26, you see the story of Isaac because of a famine going into the land of the Philistines. And, and 
He's afraid. He gets afraid there. Even though God promises him that he's going to be blessed and that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through him, Isaac gets afraid that the, the, the men of the area are going to see his wife and going to see how beautiful she is, and then they're going to kill him so that one of them could uh, take her as their wife, as his wife. So he gets his wife to promise him, just say, you're my sister. Now, now talk about that. He's wanting to uh, kind of dysfunction in that. He wants to deceive them. And so, uh, you know, Jacob, Jacob becomes, uh, his name means deceiver. And, and, uh, and he, his life becomes a, a, just a picture of deception and being deceived. And then, of course, I put in the Genesis 26, 7 and 8, uh, the, uh, a little bit later, at the end of that, it says, but sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. And, and uh, the king just says, hey, wait a second. Brothers don't treat sisters like that, you know. And he confronts Isaac and says, why did you try to deceive us? And... Uh, and Isaac, you know, tells him, you know, I was afraid, right? Well, it's the same thing. It's interesting. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? But if you read back in Genesis, you'll see that Abraham, his dad, did the very same thing before Isaac was born. Had, had, had Sarah tell the Philistine people that, that she was his sister. Now, I mean, I don't know where they shared notes there, but it's kind of a, maybe it was a family secret. And I don't know, maybe, does your family have secrets? Do they have things that they're trying to cover up? Is there an image secret Some, or a financial secret or perhaps a marital secret? Listen, as long as you're covering your secrets, you can never be healed. And the dysfunction continues. And the deception continued in, in Jacob's life. And, uh, and, and, it continued uh, for generations and for his lifetime. I mean, uh, so you have to just check, has deception been a part of my family? And then, and where did it begin? Here's the third sign of a dysfunctional family. It's, it's control. Uh, that's where, you know, one or both parents want to dominate the environment of the family or dominate the attention or the behavior of the family. And uh, here, listen, when there's control, the parents end up making decisions and want to make all the decisions for their kids and for the future. And they never let the kids begin to make decisions for themselves as they grow up. And I think it's important to let kids make those decisions and choices when they're younger. Because as they grow, if you don't, they lose the ability to, to confidently make a decision. I'm so grateful for my dad. Now, I, you know, my, my, my home was messed up for many years. It was very dysfunctional. But then my dad got saved, and my mom came to know the Lord. And then, you know, all of us kids came to know the Lord. I was a teenager. I was 15 years old. And, and uh, a year later, I'm just, I was getting ready to graduate from high school. And, and uh, I, I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know, you know, I was just beginning to form my values and the, the things that I was going to, you know, my decisions about issues in life and what I was going to tolerate, what I was going to say yes to, what I was going to say no to. And there was a graduation party, and, and I called my dad after I got off of work, and I said, hey, Dad, I'm thinking about going to this graduation party. Do you think it'd be a good thing? 
And my dad asked me one question. He goes, hey, Brad, Brad is there going to be alcohol there? And I said, well, there's a good chance there probably will, will be. And he said, well, you know, you, the, the decision is yours, but if it was me and there was going to be alcohol there, I'd probably not go. But the decision is yours. You make it. And I'm good with whatever you decide. That was the end of our phone call. I, you know, I thought about it. I thought about it. I sat in my car for a while in the parking lot, thought about it, started up my car, and I drove home. Spent some time talking with my parents about the things of God and the future that I had. And it was the right decision and made some, you know, quality decisions. But he let me make that decision. And I think that's important, amen? Because it helps us to do, make those, you know, make, helps kids make the right decisions. Listen, it's a lot easier for, to, to help a child through a bad decision they make at 13 and 14 than ones they make at 19 and 20. Come on, somebody say amen. You know what I'm talking about? And so uh, you want them to grow up confidently, make it a decision. So were there control issues in your family? Here's another symptom of a dysfunctional family, and that's the inability to resolve conflict. Boy, did we see that in that clip, right? Think about the therapy scene there, that uh, the mom is having it out with Kevin, and Randall uh, is defending, and, and Kate, she's just frozen. She can't talk. She's just frozen there, tears running down her face, right? And all of them just want to get up and get out of there, right? You see them stand up, and that's it. I'm done, you know? And they're just going to run away from it. They have this inability to resolve conflict, and that's what dysfunctional relationships have. They're, they're, they, they just, you know... But the truth is, conflict is normal in any relationship. And although it is common that people try to avoid conflict, the result is that you never learn how to resolve it unless you stay in, the, in it if you, and, and stay in the conflict and determine that you're going to resolve it. I know Lisa and I, we were so different and we bumped heads and we had different ways of resolving conflict. In my family, you, if you resolve to resolve conflict, I mean, you went out in the front yard and you, you know, you, you resolved it with a, a good fight and you beat up your brother and uh, take it outside, my dad would say, okay, there we go man. It, that's how we'd resolve it. And so my nature was, if you want to resolve something, you fight it out, right? And her nature was to withdraw, you know, to get away from the emotion, take some time for the emotion to pass, and then talk it out, right? Well, that wasn't me, man. I'm chasing her down. I want to fight it out, right? And so we, you know, we had to learn how to do this, but we learned from the scripture here in Ephesians 4.25 and uh, through 27. It's a real blueprint for resolving conflict. It says, stop telling lies. That's what it says first. Now, you know what that means? You know what stop telling lies mean when it comes within the context of what we're talking about? It means quit exaggerating what, the, you know, you think happened, right? Because when we're in conflict, we blow everything out of proportion. We make it issues, you know, that are this big into that big, you know what I'm saying? And it's just so, he says, just stop telling all that baloney, okay? And do this. Start telling the truth. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. Start telling the truth. Start being honest, okay? We're all part, we're all part of this, okay? We're all part of the same body. We're all part of this family. We need to put it together. And don't sin by letting anger control you. See, that's, that's typical in conflict. 
For, for Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, get rid of the emotion and talk it out. Get things and, and, and learn to resolve it, or at least set up a time when you can commit to resolving it. You know, a lot of people just want to ignore it, right? Oh, I'm just going to go to bed. I'm just going to leave it alone and hopefully wake up in the morning and it's going to be all done, right? It's going to be all over. It doesn't happen that way. So you don't want to let the day end without resolving conflict with honesty, love, and patience. Come on, are you following me there? Good deal. Okay, here's, here's the fifth one of a, a evidence of a dysfunctional family, and that's broken relationships, broken relationships. Now, here's a family with incredible broken relationships, the Pearsons. I mean, they, 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 they all live in different areas, in different states. They're, they're separated. They no longer speak to each other. They avoid each other as much as possible. And, and what happens is in, broke, in this situation is that, you know, they, people get cut out of the family, right? And, and it happens here. People are living in different worlds, different cities. And in our biblical family, Esau make some decisions that continue to cause trouble and turbulence in the family. Look at Genesis 26. At the age of 40, Esau married two Hittite wives. Now that's trouble there. Uh, Judith and Basemath, you know, the daughter of a couple guys. (laughs) But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Thank you very much, Esau, right? Talked adding to the conflict. These relationships are being broken and uh, there's nothing happened to resolve it. And not only do we see Esau making a decision that makes life miserable for Isaac and for his parents, he was intent on killing Jacob also. I mean, chapter uh, or 2741, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death and then I will kill my brother Jacob. That's trouble, folks. <laughs> and, and when things go wrong, there's so much blaming and finger pointing and no one wants to take responsibility for their feelings. And listen, like I said before, the list of dysfunctional uh, evidence or evidence of dysfunctional families goes on and on. So the big question that I want to go to from here is what does a, fa- a functional family look like? Or, you know, how do I, you know, move towards a functional family? Or is there even such thing as a f- functioning family? And the truth is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that there are good enough families, right? There's a family that's good enough. And that's what we want to move towards. If we grew up in dysfunctional family, if we're a part of a dysfunctional family, let's just move towards getting good enough. And good enough families are ones that are continually trying to be better. They're just, that want to regain wholeness. And let, let me give you a couple things that I think that uh, will help, you know, the things that targets that we can aim for. We were on a, a, a good enough or functioning family is a place where things are safe, number one, where they were safe. And what I mean by safe is that's a place where every member feels emotionally and physically safe. It's a place where no one feels smothered or on the other extreme ignored or controlled but, or left out, but are equally special and, and, and treated that way. 
And safe is a place where everyone's free to be who they are. They're not being judged for being different, but they're being encouraged every t- all the time to make decisions that are God-honoring. And I think that's part of being what a safe family looks like. The second thing, I think a functioning family is open. It's open. What I mean by open, it, it's that everyone is free to share what they're feeling. I mean, if you're feeling something, it's okay. Share it. It's acknowledged, right? It's, a, it's opinions, and uh, opinions are accepted and okay, along with the freedom to disagree without anger coming up or resentment coming up. So, you know, that's, it, it, it's about managing those real family-defining times. And, bec- and folks, listen, there are going to be family-defining moments in all of our homes, in all of our relationship, relationship-defining moments, and they have to be governed. They have to be governed by an overarching principle and, and that we're going to try to make these things, it's a, a safe place, an open place. And the scripture here that, that needs to cover it all, it says, over all these, and over all these, in Colossians 3.14, virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You need to walk in love, amen? So, so now that we've determined, okay, this is the targets that we need to go for, and, the, and we're kind of understand that, man, there's some dysfunction in our past, in our histories, in our families, right? And I know there is in mine. And I've been, you know, we've got to, what's our next step? What's our next step? How do we move on? Where, where do we go? What's the next step? Well, let me tell you one thing I know about next steps is they're often very awkward. And they, and they stretch us a little bit. And they, uh, you know, are, are, are difficult. They force us out of our comfort zones, right? But next steps are always the pathway to growth and moving forward. So let me give you a few, few uh, next steps for you. The first one is we're going to move towards functional relationships and a functional family. I have to first admit my brokenness. I have to admit my brokenness. And uh, do you know what that admitting your, my brokenness does? It, it helps me to realize that it's okay to not be okay. All right? I mean, I, I've got dysfunctional things that I deal with in my life that, you know, I've been transparent with my wife about, my transparent with our staff about. There's things that I, I struggle and have, have to, had to work through that are issues that were part of my family that affect how I lead here at the church. And so, the, you know, I'm honest about those. I admit those. I talk about them. I, it, it's okay to be not okay. Come on, are you with me? Because as long as we think and we act out, oh, I'm good, I'm fine, it's all good, that what we are actually saying is, I am living in fear that somebody's going to find out who the true me is. And listen, forget about that. God knows who the true you is already, right? So I'm not going to care what other people think. I want to know what God cares about, right? So I'm just going to admit my brokenness. And the Bible puts it this way. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. And folks, God wants us to live in the truth. But if we confess our sins, our failures, our faults, our dysfunctions, uh, if we confess them, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all the wickedness, okay? 
The Bible goes on to say, you know, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. And so it's a, it's a great reason to be in a small group and to be in a place where you can be transparent with people that really care about you. Amen. So the second thing that, you know, the, the step that you could take is to remember the words of Jesus on the cross is when he said in Luke 23, 35, uh, 34, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Listen, there's no healing without forgiveness. Somebody say amen. All right. Uh, people mess things up. They do. They make messes in families and, and uh, uh, often without even knowing it. So let's be the people that forgive first, right? Let's be the first to forgive. Let's set, set the example of forgiveness and to look beyond the action of a person and see the, identify the pain that is causing the action. I, I was reading a story about a couple who were, uh, who were robbed at knife point, and this robber comes and, and uh, you know, demands their money, their wallets, and, and their, their, their th valuables, and the, the, the woman becomes indignant and wants to argue, but the man says, no, 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 just give him everything. Give him everything because the, there has to be a reason for this desperate act that we're seeing right here. There's got, there, maybe there's a sick child in his home that needs medical attention that he can't afford. Maybe they don't have any food in their covers and his kids are starving and, and they just need some food. So, no, 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 go ahead, take this. Take everything we have. Take, take here, take my shoes. And he starts taking off his shoes and his jacket and, and he's giving him his watch and his, everything he has. And, the, and slowly the person's knife just drops. Somebody's so desperate, you deserve here, take it all and take care of the need that is causing you to do this. And the guy just drops the knife and turns and runs away. Just totally, totally uh, uh, ashamed of himself because he identified the pain that was causing the things that were going on and, and it changed the, the situation. And listen, if we can walk in that kind of forgiveness and remember what Jesus said to forgive, not seven times seven, but how many? 70 times seven every day. Now try to wrap your head around that. That's a big number. Here's the third next step. Ask God for his help and direction. Psalm 72, 12 says, he'll rescue the poor when they cry to him. Come on, say that with me. When they cry to him. He will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He feels pity for the weak and the needy, and he will rescue them. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious to him. He will rescue them when they cry to him. And my question is, how often are you knocking at God's door for his help and for his direction, for his wisdom, to deal with these issues and to, and to resolve them. Come on, are you with me? And finally, here's the fourth one. Fourth way, next step that we can do is to get around people that appear to do, be doing family well and, and, and to follow their example. Get some time with them. First Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I mean, here you got to do, find a family that looks like they got it together and say, hey, 
a mom or a dad and, and say, hey, can I, can, I, can I spend some time with you? Can we get together? Can we get a coffee? You know, hang out with them. Get in a small group with, with healthy families and marriages. And, because see, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge that all of us face. That because we know all of our families have some sort of dysfunction in them, and that dysfunction can be passed down generation after generation after generation. The challenge is, are we going to be the people, the person who stands up and says, I'm going to end the cycle. It's going to stop right here with me, with my generation. I'm making a decision right now to just to be the one that breaks the cycle. And I think, folks, that is the decision, the challenge for us today. And so it, it'll take these four steps. It'll take, you know, a, a boldness to, to step into it. And I'm praying that God will give you that kind of boldness to take this, you know, hey, we're going to get some more snow, right? We may have more snow days. We, we may, it may dump on us and we'll be locked down with our family. What a perfect time. What a perfect time to just talk to them and begin to set some things right and lead your family and your relationships into a new chapter of wholeness. That's God's plan for your life, and that's my desire for you. And let's believe him to do just that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you that, God, you've given us so many these examples from the scripture, a family like Isaac and Rebecca that God just seems so modern. Seems like they're just like the Pearson family. And Lord, help us to understand that none of us are perfect, that we're all wrecks in various stages of repair, that we've all experience some dysfunction that needs to be healed and made whole. But God, we are so thankful that you are the healer, that you will rescue us, that you will come when we cry out to you, when we call out to you. And Father, I pray for every family, every relationship that has been that has been hurt or abused by dysfunction, the cycles that are hurtful in our families. I pray, Father, that you would extend your hand to heal them. I pray that your word would begin to cover them and that your arms of grace would wrap around them. And I pray, Father, today that you'd give each one that are here in this room and those that are listening to us online and will be listening to the podcast, I pray, Father, that you'd courageously embolden them to go for it and to break the cycle and to see your wholeness come in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you.
you for joining us. We are located at 1415 Northeast 223rd Avenue in Fairview, Oregon. You can find us online at www.anthemfamily.org and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at My Anthem Family. God bless.